the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We are underway at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 26th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us on Always Right. You'll get me for two hours this morning, another three tonight. I'll be in for the sage, Larry Elder. Very much looking forward to that. But we're loaded for bear uh, here in the morning program today. Uh, three terrific guests coming your way, and uh, the first of which is going to be a guy you've heard before talking about. So Peter and I talked about this yesterday. He's been one of the um, uh, most significant voices in the Harvard admissions case, which you may you may think to yourself, by the way, sometimes, why do we talk about things like this? We don't go to Harvard. We don't have our kids going to Harvard. We're not elitists. Why are we talking about this Harvard case? I hope you understand the significance of racial discrimination in any context that is being allowed, that is being codified by so many uh, on the American left that are in such prominent positions, such as leadership at America's universities. It doesn't have to be a Harvard there's also the same cases being heard uh, by the Supreme Court when it comes to the University of North Carolina. This is so much bigger than the individuals who were involved in the case in which Asian Americans are being discriminated against when it comes to applications for admissions to America's colleges. They're being discriminated against because uh, they're, they're, they're great. They're, they're, they're better students. They're higher achievers. They have more merit. And meritocracy is a sin in the United States. It's got to be about diversity. It's got to be about inclusion. It's got to be about equity. We have to have more uh, people of different colors on campuses, even if they have no reason to be there based on their merits. 
And Kenny Shu wrote a book about it, An Inconvenient Minority, uh, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. So now that we knew, we know, we just found out uh, this week that the Supreme Court is going to hear these cases, these suits against Harvard and UNC for racial discrimination in college admissions. Um, we're going to bring Kenny Shu back. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. He's, uh, uh, he's a uh, terrific guest and he knows this, uh, this material inside and out. So I'm very much looking forward to talking to Kenny Shu. So that'll be coming up at, uh, 935. And by the way, uh, speaking of, uh, that, that case, and I just want to expound upon it for a second. When, when I say that it, it has such a farther reach than being just about, you know, America's colleges and universities, is there any avenue in American life that you can think of, whether it be an industry or whether it be in business, uh, or whether it be in, um, uh, education, academia, whether it be in social clubs, is there any avenue of American life in which we would be okay with deciding admission or acceptance based on race? Now, if this was 1950, the answer might be, yeah. Yeah. We can't have those coloreds coming in here with white folks. We've got to keep them separate. No, you can't join this club. No, you can't get in. In the, in the 1950s, 1940s, yeah, that was the case. In Jim Crow, in pre-civil rights America, sad to say, but true, that was acceptable. In 2022, how can it possibly be okay to say to Asian Americans who are being treated like second-class citizens in the same way that black people or African Americans, if you will, were in, uh, in the Jim Crow era, Um, How can that be okay in 2022? You can't come in. There are too many people who look like you here. If they can say that about Asian Americans, what is the next ethnic minority that can say that about? Or can they say that about the ethnic majority, Caucasians? There are too many people who look like you here. You can't come in. Well, but I have a 4.6 GPA. You, there are too many people who look like you. You can't come in. Well, I got a 30, uh, 34 on the SAT or in the ACT out of 36. There's too many people who look like you. That guy over there got a 21. But we don't have enough people who look like him. He gets your spot. Go away. Is there any place that could be okay? What about, what about in hiring decisions? Well, I graduated uh, fourth in my class. I have extensive internship experience. I have the highest recommendations from the uh, ref- uh, references on my on my resume. Uh, I I am top notch in every single uh, you know by every single measurable you're looking for. Yes, sir or ma'am, but. I'm sorry to tell you, we have a lot of people who look like you already, and we need to diversify our workforce, so we're going to take the guy who finished 56th in his class, who doesn't have the internship experience, who doesn't have as high of recommendations, but it will, it will look better when it comes to diversity, inclusion, and equity. So he gets to the job. Is, how can that possibly be okay? Now, that's just something I, I, I don't understand. All right, so we're going to talk about that with uh, Kenny Shu uh, coming up at 9.35. Then at 10.10, we are going to be talking about uh, the public school backlash. 
uh, as it pertains to what is continuing to be done to children in the name of their health. Specifically, putting children in plastic boxes to keep them away, them and their disgusting germs. They're teeming with bacteria away from other kids. No, that's happening. That's a thing. Forcing them to wear the face diapers that have been scientifically proven to be ineffective at stopping COVID. Ineffective at stopping any disease, quite frankly, or any virus that is airborne. Uh, it is it is a joke. There is no scientific evidence whatsoever, but they continue to do this. Lauren Davis is a parent who's going to tell us her story. Uh, it's it's just more insanity. Um, this is going to be down in uh, Texas. She's running for Dallas County Judge, and she is taking the point of view as an attorney that we can no longer do this to our children. It was done, in fact, to her children, and we're going to talk about that. They chose not to wear masks, and the public school backlash was just hellish. And she's going to tell us what she went through. Then at uh, 10.10 today, uh, or yeah, 10, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped over the 10.10. That's going to be Lauren Davis at 10.35. My apologies. Um, at 10.10, Jim Renacci is going to be back on with us. Why? Because there's some new breaking news in the gubernatorial race. Um, Jim Renacci is climbing and, in fact, has surpassed and opened up a pretty healthy lead in the gubernatorial race over the little bespectacled buffoon known as Mike DeWine. So Jim Renacci has some big-time polling news that he can uh, he can talk about, and he'll be with us at 1010. So to get those in order for you, Kenny Shu coming up at 935, Jim Renacci 1010, Lauren Davis on what they're doing to our children and what they did to hers. That'll be coming up at 1035. So three guests today, not a ton of time for call-in conversation, but as I always say when we have days like this, the old baseball adage applies, hit them where they ain't. Hit them where they ain't was the best uh, advice a hitter ever got. You got nine fielders out there. Hit the ball where they ain't. Well, you got three guests here. Hit it where they ain't. Call before, between, or after those guests at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Now, before we get into some news of the day, I'm going to ask patriots everywhere to stand. Unless you're driving, you don't have to stand. But please pay attention with us, and if you would, join us in our Pledge of Allegiance. If you have a flag nearby, go ahead and face it. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a leftist, if you are a Biden voter, and if you are a supporter of big tech's ongoing censorship of free Americans who happen to have conservative points of view, well, you pretty much don't believe in this flag or this pledge anyway. Go ahead and take a knee, just like your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So um, there's a reason why I did my little pledge um, open there the way that I did. I woke up this morning to find as I looked at my social media pages, and by the way, if you are on social media at all, you need to be on Getter, G-E-T-T-R, Getter. It is become, has become a place where tons of conservatives are moving when they continue to get censored and have their voices suppressed by the, the uh, leftist uh, uh, oligarchs and technocrats at Twitter and at Facebook and Google and so on and so forth. So uh, get on Getter, G-E-T-T-R. You'll find me there at Always Right, W-H-K. Always Right, W-H-K. So I checked my socials this morning, 
And in particular, I went to my Facebook page because last night I posted a video of Joe Biden on Facebook, which is, quite frankly, just so, so, so painful to watch. It was uh, a brief montage of his 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 brain collapsing um, during his press conference last week. It was on Hannity last night. So I borrowed it from that, and I uploaded it to uh, my Facebook page. And um, I, I'm not even going to play it for you because the audio portion of it, while painful, doesn't do the justice that is done when you see the agony on his face as he squints and furrows his brow and puts his hand to his head and tries so hard to think of the next word. You have to see it to believe it. You just have to. But you can't see it on my Facebook page because what I found when I went to my Facebook page to see what kind of reactions it was getting today, I found that I had been put in Facebook jail for 30 days. (sighs) Needless to say, I was... I was perplexed. I was confused. What on earth have I done to offend anybody to put me in Facebook jail for 30 days? And the answer to that question is, is I have allowed a doctor, a scientist, to share science. I shared about a two-minute clip of the speech given by Dr. Robert Malone at the Stop the Mandates March in Washington, D.C., this past weekend. I I shared two minutes of Dr. Malone's speech and was told now by the Facebook fact-checkers, and I want to remind you that Facebook admitted in a hearing that they don't have fact-checkers, that they have opinion-checkers. These are employees of Facebook who have opinions about certain scientific questions and issues, political questions and issues, and they can use their opinions as to what they allow on their platform and what they don't. And according to the Facebook opinion checkers, I have posted something that violates the Facebook community standards. In this case, the community standards, quote, are... This post goes against our standards on misinformation that could cause physical harm, so only you can see it. Repeatedly violating our community standards can cause further account restrictions. If you think we've made a mistake, you can disagree with the decision. I'm not going to go into the details of how ridiculous and stupid that is. People who have been put in Facebook jail know that when you put in Facebook jail, you don't get to talk to somebody and explain the point. You just click a button that says, I disagree. And then you push another button saying why, and then they say, too bad, you're suspended. Uh, literally, I mean, that's it. They're, they're, you're not going to be able to you know, have an appeal or anything of that nature. But the point is, underneath that, they showed what they found to be misinformation. And it's that two-minute clip of Dr. Robert Malone, who is the inventor of mRNA technology. He is the inventor of the technology that was then used to create the non-vaccine Profit shots put out by Pfizer and Moderna. He is the inventor of the technology. He's a doctor. He's a scientist. The inventor of mRNA technology talked at his um, at the event at the Stop the Mandates event in D.C. He talked about 
this technology, and he talked about how it manifested itself in shots that can be very, very dangerous for certain people. And he said, the biggest quote, the takeaway from this is, he said, if there is risk, and there is, there must be choice. In other words, free people cannot be forced to do something that is risky for them. If it was 100% certain that there would be no adverse effects from taking a shot, then maybe, just maybe, a government might be able to say, we need everybody to do this and it's going to be mandatory. But if there's any risk whatsoever to any segment of the population, then it cannot be compulsory. It has to be a choice. Now, apparently... The inventor of mRNA technology that was used to create these profit shots, who is himself vaccinated, if you will, by one of them, a man who said he is in no way, shape, or form ever going to get the booster because, quote, I don't want to die, that man giving his opinion on whether or not the technology he invented should be mandatory and compulsory, apparently that violates the misinformation Standards of Facebook. And sharing it could cause physical harm. This is what they're saying. The opinion checkers know more than the inventor of mRNA technology. I'm going to, let, I'm going to play 40 seconds of the two minutes that I posted. It was about a 20-minute speech. There was a two-minute clip that I played that was very, very big and very, very important. Uh, I'm going to give you 40 seconds of it. If there is risk, there must be choice. This is the fundamental bedrock truth of modern bioethics. All medical procedures, vaccines, and drugs have risks. All of us have the right to understand these risks and to decide for ourselves whether we willingly accept those risks. To deny this is to deny human dignity. Well, there it is. There's the danger, dangerous language of Dr. Robert, Robert Malone. The horrific misinformation that could cause physical harm to people. If there is risk, there must be choice. It is the bedrock of modern bioethics. If there is risk, it has to be optional for someone to take it, not compulsory. Facebook disagrees and has suspended me for 30 days for sharing Dr. Robert Malone's speech, telling me that we don't allow false information that could cause physical harm. They don't have to argue. They don't have to explain why they believe it to be false information. They can just say, our opinion checkers say it's false, so Dr. Robert Malone is silenced. And you, for sharing Dr. Robert Malone's words, are also silenced. We don't have to prove our case. We just get to deny your opportunity and his opportunity to be heard. My friends, this is what I meant when I said on the air a few months ago, something that I found to be 
profound and made into a t-shirt. They don't want science. They only want compliance. Science would say, let's hear Dr. Robert Malone and let's challenge his assertions with this scientific finding. That's what science does. It accepts challenges. It yearns for challenges so that it can be proven or disproven. They don't want science. They want you to be in compliance. That's it. And that's why I am still selling those shirts to people at, uh, at my website, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Get one of them and continue to push back. And I'll be right back on Always Right. Show you how government works. 60% of the time, it works every time. Always Right with Bob France. That doesn't make sense. On AM 1420, the answer. This is uh, this is about as important as it gets, to be quite frank. It really is. If we don't have the freedom to share opinions, the freedom to share ideas, the freedom to share our own scientific research, you know, done by scientists, done by medical doctors, physicians in good standing, if we don't have the ability to share that, we don't have free speech. We do not have our First Amendment rights being protected. If we aren't allowed to get on social media and, and, and using the reach that it provides us, reach our thousands of followers or whatever we have, um, and, and they get to choose what is considered to be acceptable information and what is misinformation, we do not have free speech. It's not just me, obviously. Rand Paul, you probably remember. Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, uh, was suspended by YouTube about five months ago for misleading claims about masks and mask efficacy, as determined by YouTube. YouTube is owned by whom? You know this, right? Google. Google and YouTube determined that Dr. Rand Paul was wrong about masks. And rather than arguing their point and posting maybe another video from another doctor who says something different, they just shut him down. It's why Rand Paul has left YouTube. He no longer has a YouTube channel in which he used to post videos with his commentary and updating his constituents about various things. He quit YouTube and Google. Now, Dr. Rand Paul can't even go on somebody else's network and have his opinion shared by YouTube and Google. He was on with another national radio show, from a different, not a Salem uh, show, and I won't say which one, it, it's not important, but he was on another one just yesterday, and he was again talking about the obvious science of all of this, and YouTube blocked it, took it down. It wasn't even Rand Paul's account. Again, he pulled his account. This was on the other radio show hosts' uh, YouTube account, and they took it down. We are being censored. Our voices are being suppressed. and There is no freedom in the in the marketplace of of public ideas there there just isn't what is supposed to be a free public marketplace for us to share information and ideas is not that it is it is going to be one of the defining struggles of this time it really is it's going to impact elections it's going to impact public policy it's going to impact all kinds of things in our lives our children and if we don't fight back against this lunacy that only liberal progressive points of view can be heard without censorship, we're done as a society. 
Do not underestimate that. All right, let me take a time out here. It's 931. I'm going to talk about racial discrimination, which apparently is now okay in academia, as long as the right races are being discriminated against. Kenny Shu will be back with us to talk about that coming up next. AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll, 936. Thank you for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll come back to the big tech uh, uh, censorship of Rand Paul, the censorship of yours truly, by way of which the censorship of uh, Dr. Uh, Robert Malone. It's, it's simply incredible. The inventor of mRNA technology, which was used to create the pseudo shots, the profit shots, um, is uh, is is silenced by a bunch of Facebook opinion checkers. Remember, they're not fact checkers. They had to admit in a in a um, uh, Senate hearing that they have opinion checkers who have their own opinions as to what's misinformation and what's not. Those snotty-nosed snotty punks from Silicon Valley uh, know more than Dr. Robert Malone about what uh, the true threat of potentially of these profit shots are. It's simply amazing. We'll come back to that. But I want to get back to this now. Yesterday, Peter Kersenow, uh from the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and I talked about the Supreme Court case that is going to be heard over the racial discrimination in college admissions from uh, or at uh, Harvard and also the University of North Carolina. Asian Americans are being blocked from getting onto these campuses because meritocracy is no longer an issue. Meritocracy is no longer a consideration. It's do you add the right colors and ethnicities to our diverse pool of students in our student body. That's all they seem to care about. Joining us now is the author of a book we've talked about before, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Kenny Hsu, back with us again. Kenny, thank you so much for uh, being with us here in Cleveland. How are you? Hey, thank you for having me again. Well, you and I spoke about this, uh, among other things, uh, about a month or so ago. I know you do a lot of interviews. You don't have to remember it, but I do. And uh, now that we know that this is going to be heard by the Supreme Court, I wanted to reach back out to you and talk about the specifics. Um, as I mentioned, I had Peter Kersenow on yesterday, and we were talking about some of the statistics, which are just so alarming. An Asian-American applicant at Harvard in the uh, first uh, uh, decile of, of, you know, qual- excuse me one second. Excuse me for that. <clears throat> Coughing on live radio is not uh, optimal. Uh, anyway, Kenny, uh, an, an Asian American in the first decile has, has a, a lower chance of being ad- accepted by Harvard than an African American in the fourth decile. And that is because, of course, they strive to have diversity on their campus, DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity. It's what it's all about to them. So they are telling Asian students who are far more Asian Americans, uh, or even just Asians who are here as uh, uh, on student visas. They don't even have to be Americans. But Asians who want to come to Harvard, 
if it doesn't matter how qualified you are, if you don't lend the right color or ethnicity to our, our melting pot here, you're out. And somebody with lower qualifications gets in. Um, the Supreme Court, Court is going to hear this. Give me your take on, on what this means, Kenny. Um, this, this is what it means. This means that the entire justification for the DEI industry is under attack. So you can almost understand why an institution like Harvard and, you know, their corporate sponsors are going to be so against, um, striking down race-based admissions because the entire justification of DEI, the entire justification of discrimination against Asians is this idea of diversity, so-called diversity, right? Uh, a diverse student body makes a, a better class and everything like that. Of course, when they say diversity, they really only mean one kind of diversity. They mean race. That's what they mean. This is why an Asian has to score 440 points higher in the SAT to have the same chance of admission as a black person. Um, you're talking here... If the Supreme Court strikes down this diversity justification as an excuse to racially balance, that's going to have a severe effect on the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry. Um, but I think that that is going to be a good thing for America, not a bad thing. Um, I want to get to some of the specifics there. You said 440 points. Now, that's everything else being equal, right? An Asian student has to score 440 points higher on the SAT to get the same chance as an African-American student, and that still doesn't guarantee yeah. that they'll be chosen. If there's two, Again, I mean, I kind, of, I kind of explained it before you came on in, in my open. You know, they're literally saying, we have too many people who look like you here. I don't care what your score is. We need more people who look like him or her, who is far less qualified here. That's what this boils down to. We can't have so many people that look like you, so you can score 440 points higher than the other guy and still get rejected because you just don't look right. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, In fact, Harvard even said that uh, if they didn't discriminate against Asians, if they evaluated solely based on academic merit, Asians would be 43% of the class. Instead, they're... You know, in the, in the periods that were studied, there were 20% or less of the class. That means that the penalty against Asian Americans is over 50% at Harvard University. Wow. Over 50%. You know, and this is how much Harvard can't stand the thought of having too many Asians on their campus, that they would discriminate against them to a 50% threshold, just like, by the way, what they did with Jews, Jewish Americans back in the early 20th century. There are too many Jews on campus. Harvard said, well, we don't want so many Jews on campus. And guess what? They created this artificial character score where Jews somehow scored the lowest on, and uh, they used that to keep Jews to below 20% of the class. Um, so they're doing the same thing with Asians today. We are talking with Kenny Shu. Kenny is an author, or and is the author of a tremendously important book. Uh, it is uh, the attack on an inconvenient minority, the attack on Asian American excellence, and the fight for meritocracy. Um, again, to just you know uh, explain the numbers to people, Harvard admits fifty six point one percent of Black applicants in the top academic decile, compared with thirty one percent of Hispanics, fifteen point three percent of Whites. 12.7% of Asians uh, in the top academic decile, and it gets worse from there. Again, when you compare a, an, an uh, Asian American 
who is in the top decile to an African American who's in the fourth decile. Let me let me see if I have this specifically uh, in front of me. I think I remember it. Yeah, uh, I can't quite find the quote or the statistic. Oh, there it is. A black applicant in the fourth lowest decile, fourth lowest, not fourth from the top, fourth lowest decile, has a higher chance of admission, 12.8% than an Asian American in the top decile. So Mm -hmm. these numbers, Kenny, are completely um, indefensible. What I want to ask you, though, is if you try to play devil's advocate here, um, which I try to do. I try to see all sides of things, no matter how much I, I disagree with them, no matter how much I find to be repulsive, and racial discrimination against any race is repulsive. But I, I try to try mm-hmm. to see it from the other side. Can you make any room for their argument that it is better for every student to be exposed to uh, a wide variety or diverse population of people because they, they're not going to live and work when they graduate from our university surrounded by only people who look like them. They're going to have to learn how to deal with different people of different cultures. So what we are doing is providing a service to all of our students to prepare them for the real world. That's going to be their argument in front of the Supreme Court. We need diversity for the sake of the betterment, the well-roundedness of our students. Any room for that? Uh, yeah, um... Well, look, when you uh, go to a country or something like that and, and you're talking with a person of another culture, um, you realize that people can look exactly the same, uh, but they have very different attitudes towards life, very different mentalities towards life, very different perspectives, everything like that. And I think that's the same thing with Asian Americans. You know, I, I don't understand why they, I mean, not, I no, I definitely, I actually do understand why they think we're all just some faceless, homogenous group of people that test-taking robots with no personality, you know, um, and maybe they think that we don't contribute to the diversity of America, but in reality, Asian Americans are very diverse. They're very diverse, and it actually takes a rather sophisticated kind of person. One could argue the kind of person that Harvard is trying to create, a progressive sophisticated citizen to actually look past race and stop making judgments based on solely what you see in front of the mirror or in front of or the person that you're seeing. Um, and uh, I think that that is, is a greater way to look at diversity than it is to just say, oh, well, diversity means um, we need X percentage of Asians and X percentage of black people and X percentage of Hispanic people. That doesn't seem like um, the sophistication that you want in a person in a person's judgment to me I, I think that is well explained I think that's a great point and I, you know, t- tell me about this too as an Asian uh, uh, person Kenny um, we kind of get trapped I think a lot of Americans do anyway into thinking that Asian is an ethnicity all unto itself that that Asians are all alike. That there's too many Asians. There's too many Asians, or 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 whatever the case might be. They don't make distinctions between Chinese, uh, Vietnamese, Korean, uh, um, uh, Japanese, or whatever. So many times, there's just a kind of a I don't know if I'd call it a stigma, but that basically it says if you come from Asia, you're all alike. And so, in other words, there can be diversity within a high Asian population of just different types of 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 nationalities, right? And there are, and there, and look, even if they did make that distinction, okay, you're Chinese, okay, you're Vietnamese. Uh, how big is China again? 
How big is Vietnam again? China is like 1.8 billion people. Vietnam is basically 90 million people. That sounds about right. Um, you know, this is a. Uh, these are extraordinarily large countries and everything like that. I don't. I don't. The 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 country that you come from tells something about you. I'm not. I think the, the fact the country you come from tells more about you than the race that you are. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, Thomas Sowell even did this explanation with Black Americans that even with black Americans, you know, black Americans who come from the Caribbean, who hail, who have an origin in the Caribbean compared to black Americans that have origins from southern the southern tip of Africa, exhibit different cultural traits. But guess what? You're never going to see that, and you're never going to be able to follow that just by looking at the color of, your, of their skin. You might think that they're all the same kind of person, and the reality is they're not. So you really have to... Um, become a more sophisticated person and look at things from a different point of view instead of the point of view of race that Harvard is using when evaluating applicants. Um, Kenny Shu is our guest. Again, Kenny Shu's book is, uh, is an important one, uh, An Inconvenient Minority. Um, when, you, when you speak of um, uh, anti-Asian hate, you know, that is a movement here because there is a spike or has been a spike in some cities um, uh, of, of quote-unquote hate crimes against Asian Americans. One might think that the supporters in, of the anti-Asian hate movement would come out here in support of Asian merit- meritocracy in these school, administra- or school uh, um, admissions cases. Are they? Are you aware of the ACLU arguing on behalf of fairness and non-discrimination? Uh, because they seem to be all in when it comes to the you know hate crimes against Asians. What about in allowing them to go to school? Well, they're not even all in when it comes to hate crimes against Asians. As soon as people start to understand the statistics behind the hate crimes against Asians, suddenly people shut up real fast. The whole point of the anti-Asian hate movement was to try to tie it to uh, white supremacy, but then you look at the statistics in 2018, uh, 28% of the perpetrators against Asians were black, 25% were white, um, you know, the others were Hispanics and other Asians. So actually, whites don't even make up the plurality of the people attacking Asian Americans. And, um, and, and so it's, it presents an inconvenience to their story, to their story of a racist, white supremacist America that's just bent on destroying minorities. Um, and so this is the um, this is the reason why Asian Americans are the inconvenient minority because people are willing to use Asians as a vic- as part of their all encompassing victimhood minority against white person narrative. But as soon as we start talking about things like Asian success, the fact that Asians study twice as many hours as the average American, the fact that Asians deserve these spots to Harvard, suddenly they start they stop defending Asians and they start claiming that Asians are just like white people and are privileged and we need to take away spots from them instead of give them to them. Uh, yeah, last time you and I spoke, um, we talked about just that, about how Asians are used, essentially, I think mostly by the American left, based on what the issue is. They are considered white when it is convenient for them to be considered white, in other words, successful, and therefore uh, they should not be given the, uh, you know, they, they, uh, uh, they are the beneficiaries of privilege, if you will, because of that. And then in other cases, they are considered minorities whenever it's convenient for that. So your book is, uh, is aptly titled An Inconvenient Minority. Last question for you before you go. I know you don't have a crystal ball nor a Karnak hat, but what do you think is going to happen in the court when the Supreme Court decides this? 
I think they're going to rule for the Asians. I think they're going to rule for us, for the plaintiffs. I think they're going to score a big victory here. The fact that the Supreme Court even took up the case, um, I think is a big signal, um, because this is this means that they're willing to consider overturning Reed in California versus Bakke, which first allowed um, for race-based discrimination in college admissions. Um, I honestly, if it were honestly, and I know this is not as likely to be the case, but I want this to be a nine-zero decision. I want the liberal judges to join in. It doesn't make any sense to allow for the concept of race to be used in things like admissions or discrimination anymore in society. I thought we struck that down with Brown. I thought we struck that down with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And now people are still allowing it. This should be this should be an embarrassment to our country, as I think well, most people are finding out that it is. Well, we did strike that down during those uh, important cases, Kenny, but then George Floyd died and everything went out the window. And I don't mean to be right. flippant. And I don't mean to be flippant, but literally, that is what happened. And when that happened and we saw the summer of racial reckoning, uh, you know, what that did was is it erased all of the content of character, colorblind society. You're the president of Color Us United, advocating for colorblindness. But when George Floyd died, it became, <laughs> nope, now we have to see everybody first by their color so that we can judge their victim status before we can move on. It is the, the, the antithesis of what the Civil Rights Act and the Civil Rights Movement was all about. Exactly, exactly. That's why we have to fight back. That's my organization, Color Us United, whether we're fighting the Harvard case, Woke Corporation, CRT, and schools. Sign up for our organization at colorusunited.org to uh, get a voice in this discourse and have us speak for you for a race-blind America. I second that. Uh, colorusunited.org. Definitely go and click that link or type that into your uh into your browser, and then make sure you get Kenny's book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. It's what it's all about. Kenny Shu, thank you. Please keep doing your important work, and we'll talk to you again, I'm sure. Thank you. All right, that's uh, Kenny Shu. It's uh, 9.53. We'll take a time out here, and we'll see if we can squeeze a call or two in here. Remember what I told you. Hit them where they ain't. Dial it now, 216-901-0945. Right back. And over your license and registration. Turn to Always Right. Hurry up, meow. With Bob France. No buts, meow. On AM 420. All right, meow. Where were we? The answer. Okay, 9.57. Yeah, some pretty astounding stuff there that we just got from uh, from Kenny Shue. Uh, if you are a believer in uh, uh, freedom and a believer in, uh, you know, racial... How do I want to phrase it? What's the opposite of racism? If you're a believer in uh, in non-discrimination by race, you have to you have to be pushing for the plaintiffs in this case, and you have to you have to hold Harvard and UNC and any other university that's doing this, valuing their campus diversity over the meritocracy and the ability of the students. You have to hope that they have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in damages. 
I'm not just saying that because I'm sick of the leftist elitists in the Ivy Leagues. I'm saying that for the benefit of society, they have to be held to a high standard here, and they have to pay an exorbitant price. They really do. In order to stop other institutions, academic and otherwise, professional institutions, organizations, clubs, businesses, corporations, all have to be have to see a lesson here saying we can't hire people based on their race anymore. We can't admit people, accept people based on their race anymore so that we can color up the room. We have to do it on meritocracy or else we're going to get hit like Harvard got hit. That's what the message has to be. Betsy is in uh, Pepper Pike. Uh, Betsy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Bob, history repeats itself. My uncle, who is going to turn 90 years old in two weeks, was denied admission to the dental school at Case Western Reserve University in 1950. Why? Because he was a Jew and they had quotas. My parents in the 1940s were, I'll bet people don't know this, uh, were asked their religion uh, each time. Uh, they had to check a box, Jew, uh, Christian, whatever it may be. They soon found out when they checked the box and identified as Jews, they weren't getting jobs. So they had to start start lying, basically, on application. The only difference between that, Bob, and today is that we are, I don't know how to say this in a politically correct way, but we are ending up with the bottom of the barrel when we choose to put equity before competence and quality. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair statement, and I don't think that was racial at all. I think you're right. If you choose people based on their belonging to an ethnic group, a religious group, or whatever, rather than meritocracy, rather than who brings the most uh, qualifications and the best tools to this job or this place or whatever, you are then literally digging from the bottom of the barrel and just omitting that which sits on top. And that's not right. Thank you for the call, Betsy. I appreciate it. And by the way, she brings a great point here. We seem to think that racial discrimination was invented or started with African Americans because of slavery and then, uh, you know, Jim Crow era laws, you know, pre-civil rights. We seem to think that there have been no other groups that have endured racial or uh, ethnic or religious discrimination. And of course, 5,000 years of history would tell us that Jews... Uh, have been have been persecuted uh, and continue to be so um, as much as if not more than any other ethnic or uh, religious group. Thank you so much for that call. We'll take a time out here for news. We're going to come back and talk politics. What's going on in the governor's race? Well, a big shift in the polls. That's what's going on. Jim Renacci is going to react to it next. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.